Thank you very much for those readings. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to be with you again. I'm, I'm always with you, but it's uh, lovely to be sharing with you as well. Um, congratulations on braving the cold and coming out and on leaving all the Christmas preparations. Uh, we've been away for a couple of days collecting one of our granddaughters up in York. And uh, once we came back yesterday, all the other, well, lots of the other grandchildren arrived to sort of put up our tree and decorate it, and the inevitable happened. They got the tree up. They left our house in absolute chaos with empty boxes everywhere. So we'll get back there, I hope, and clear up later today and, and be able to have a decent lunch together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this time of year and all that it means. We pray that you will touch our lives by your Holy Spirit. Enable us to really respond to you in a new way this Christmas. That we may be those who can radiate your love out to others. Draw near, near and speak to us, we pray this morning, through this really familiar Christmas story. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The title for this morning is Joseph, from that uh, second passage. But, do you know, when I very first started at Theological College, I had a lecture which sort of gave an overview of the Bible. And I remember the guy behind me tapping on me on the shoulder at the end, and he said, it's like the news of the world, isn't it? He said, and for those of you who aren't old enough to remember the news of the world, it was a, a tabloid weekly that sort of had a... A, a sort of string of crime, sex, um, adultery, murder, and pretty well nothing else. That's what sold. And so he was saying the Bible sounds a little bit like that. <laughs> and actually, when you look at the stories, it is. There's murder, there's jealousy, there's adultery. Um, and you remember that Rupert led us through some of the genealogy last week and drew that out very strongly. The kind of people God uses are very ordinary people indeed. But I, we started with the Genesis passage and that's really interesting because it's, it's Judah being blessed by his father Jacob. And Jacob, when he's blessing his sons, must surely have had in mind how devious he was when he'd stolen the blessing from his brother Esau all those years before. So he can't have been blessing his sons without a vivid memory of all of that. And he blessed them all, and he came to his fourth son, Judah, and he blessed him with victory, prosperity, God's presence for the future. And in a way, it was, well, it was answered, that's for sure, because Judah became the, the most blessed in many ways, of all the sons of Jacob. And Judah became the name of the Jewish people, the name of their faith, Judaism. And God blessed him in wonderful ways. But if you look at that passage in Genesis, there's a sort of pointing forward as well. In verse 10, verse 10 this is what it says. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, 
until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Am I coming and going? All right, Martin. So looking forward to a time when there's going to be a great ruler of the nations and all will bow before him. To a degree, the promise was fulfilled with David, the great king, but inevitably it's pointing further forward to great David's greater son, to Jesus, whom, whose birth is now being told in Matthew here. So let's look at Joseph and uh, ask what we can learn about him. Because the genealogy, after telling the story of all these sort of very strange people who've got a very, very questionable history, arrives eventually at Joseph. And what does it say about him? What kind of man was he? Well, it says here he was a righteous man, verse 19. That is one who keeps God's law, one who loves God. Uh, the angel refers to him as son of David, do you know, interesting, he's the only person to whom that title is applied in the scriptures apart from Jesus. Luke tells us that he was a descendant of David. So Joseph was a righteous man, an upright man, a man who loved God and tried to live according to the law. What was his relationship with Mary? Well, we're told here, verse 18, that he was pledged to be married and that's an arrangement that was often made right at the beginning of a child's life. Two young children were pledged together. Uh, they'd never seen each other, knew nothing about each other, couldn't understand what love was all about. And that was something for the far distant future. Much later on, um, there would be the betrothal or engagement, which would become a much more formal arrangement and clearly a prelude to marriage. Um, although NIV says they were pledged to be married as, as if that was the very beginning, every other version you look at says they were betrothed or engaged. So, so actually they got to this second stage. And before you reach the second stage in the Jewish faith, you could actually, I mean the two children who'd grown up, if they didn't like each other, they could actually change their minds and opt out before they started the actual engagement. When they were engaged, they couldn't do that. They were referred to as husband and wife, but they still lived in their own homes. And it was only when they became husband and wife and were, went home, that's the third stage that you remember is mentioned in Genesis. Um, leave your father and mother, cleave to your wife, and then um, there is a one flesh relationship. So the third stage is the one flesh relationship. And it's interesting um, what the angel actually says. Um, because they were in this engagement stage, once you got to that stage, you couldn't break it off. It was literally called divorce. That was the word that was used if you were committed in this final stage. So we're told that uh, Joseph was considering this when Mary came and said that she was with child, um, he knew that the only option, really, was to divorce her. But he didn't want to. So you've got this man who's already incredibly torn, haven't you? He loves God. He wants to do what is right. He wants to live according to the law. He loves Mary with all his heart. But 
really duty calls and he has to divorce her. There's no other alternative. The phrases used here are, he had in mind to do that. After he had considered this very carefully, that's when the angel who had appeared to Mary, of course, uh, came and appeared to him. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. They were already considered husband and wife because they were in the engagement stage, but taking her home and living fully as husband and wife is what marriage is all about. So don't be afraid to take home Mary as your wife because what is conceived is her, in her is from the Holy Spirit. No mention of a ceremony. Perhaps uh, it would have been quiet in the circumstances. Who knows? The difference this time, it says in verse 23, is that Joseph had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. So there we are. That's the relationship that Joseph had with Mary. But what about Mary? Because actually, before long, Joseph fades from the scene. And it's Mary who gets into the spotlight, isn't it, because of the promises about the baby. I, I don't know about you, I feel sorry for Joseph. I, it's a bit like, reminds me of the Duke of Edinburgh, really. You know, all set for a huge naval career. Everybody knew he was heading for the very, very top. And all of a sudden, he's got to step back, walk the rest of his life two paces behind the Queen, and the emphasis and the spotlight has always got to be on her. Yeah, he was his own man, he forged his own path, he made a huge contribution um, to the life of our country and the Commonwealth. But he always walked two paces behind because it was his wife who was the important person. In a way, the same was true for Joseph, wasn't it? So um, it's Mary who's now in the spotlight. Um, we get very, very few glimpses of Joseph after this. He goes with Mary and the baby for the purification in the temple. He takes her away to be safe from Herod in Egypt after the angel has spoken to him again. He comes back when it's safe to do so. Um, Luke tells us that once they were back in their own country, that Joseph would take Jesus every year to the Passover in Jerusalem. And he paints the picture of one particular occasion when Jesus was 12, you remember, and got lost, and uh, they spent ages hunting for him and eventually found him in the temple. After that, you hear nothing at all of Joseph. Um, he's, what do we say about him? He was a righteous man, stepping back as he did from the limelight, he was certainly a really humble man. He was a loving, caring, kind, protective father of the new baby as he took him away to Egypt and back. But the focus is rightly on Mary, not on him. Gabriel went to her and she was going to be the mother of the savior of the world. And in her hymn of praise, Mary says, you remember, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And she deserves honor as the blessed Virgin Mary. That's what the Bible actually calls her. 
Now, we know that there are branches of the church that have taken that to excess and almost worship her, but we in evangelical churches haven't always given her the honor, actually, that we should. I mean, there is no greater honor that any man can give a woman than to want her to be the mother of his children. And God wanted Mary to be the mother of his son. That is amazing, isn't it? But I have to say that the focus isn't really on Joseph. The focus isn't really on Mary. The focus right the way through this passage, which we know so well, is on God himself from beginning to end. What we're seeing is God at work. The messenger who came was the angel of the Lord. What happened to Mary was the work of God by his spirit. Um, Matthew says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And when the angel spoke to Joseph, verse 20, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Luke actually says the same, because when Mary asked, how will this be, because I'm a virgin, the reply was, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So it was the work of God by his spirit. That's where the focus should be. This is miraculous. This is supernatural. And okay, the original uh, prophecy, which spoke about a virgin conceiving, and which is quoted here as well, uh, many people point out where well, the word virgin can, can mean young woman. Yes, it can. But the virgin birth is not based on a word. It's based on the supernatural, miraculous activity of God. Mary knew that, without a doubt, and so did Joseph. We say it in the creed, don't we, for us and uh, for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. So the story of Christmas is a supernatural story. This is God at work, and that's what Matthew is highlighting here. It says more than that, it says that God, what is he doing when God is at work? He's doing something even more miraculous than uh, the virgin birth. He's coming to the rescue of the world, because God is at work sending his son to rescue. And that the reason for his coming is just as miraculous if not more so, than um, the virgin birth itself. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And soon after that, um, Mary was given a hint of what else was going to be involved for her. When Simeon took the child Jesus in his arms, he praised God, for mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. And then he turned to Mary and he said, a sword will pierce your own soul too. So already the shadow of the cross is there very powerfully over the birth of Jesus. We'll come to that just a little bit later too. 
We live in a very needy world, we all know that. There's chaos, there's confusion absolutely everywhere. Crisis is the word that's uh, banded about. I mean, certainly politically that's true, and our leaders desperately need our prayers to overcome the confusion, the division that there is at the moment. But wherever you look, there is crisis, whether it's in the health service, in social care, in immigration policy, to do with transport, the hospitality industry, the energy market, climate emergency, so you could go on. And I haven't even mentioned Ukraine yet. I mean, the world is in a total and utter mess. There's crisis in every organization, including the church. The story of sexual abuse has shamed the church in an appalling way. So we're not excluded in any way at all. The real global crisis, of course, is spiritual. That's what the message of the Bible is. That's why we're in such a mess wherever you look. Uh, There's a a sin and self-centeredness about all of us and about all of our institutions that seems to permeate everything and everyone. And God has sent his son to the rescue. We're seeing God at work by his spirit. We're seeing God coming to the rescue of the world, the greatest rescue operation that has ever been launched. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the emphasis is on God. God at work through his spirit, bringing Jesus to earth. God at work sending his son to rescue the world from the parlous state that it's in. And then we're told that it's God at work coming himself actually to be with us. The wonderful name of our church, Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 22 and 3, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Queen's final Christmas broadcast after we all endured the isolation of COVID and when she was also looking forward to her Platinum Jubilee this year, she said that her hopes were for people everywhere to enjoy a sense of togetherness. Earlier, in a very rare broadcast to the nation during the pandemic, she said that Britain would succeed in its fight against the virus and better times would return. And do you remember echoing the wartime Vera Lynn, she said, we will meet again. I've already said the problems are global and uh, what we need to tackle some of these enormous issues is a, is a togetherness of nations, that's for sure. None of those uh, major things can be tackled by even countries in isolation. And uh, the togetherness which is needed nationally and globally is also something that we need on a personal level, isn't it? Because as the Bible says right at the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone. The last two years, we've all missed out on the delight and joy of togetherness, haven't we? Uh, We've had the last, I'm not looking for sympathy, but we've had the last two Christmases on our own, Bridget and I. That was true of many people. There are lots of folk who will still be alone this year for other reasons. Um, 
bereavement. Christmas can be the saddest time in the world for people. People who are really sort of uh, coping with enormous difficulty. Uh, yeah, I know we've got Zoom, we've got videos, we've got phone calls, but it's not the same. And not everybody is computer savvy. If people uh, ring me at home and I'm not around or not inclined to answer, they'll, uh, they'll get a message which says, uh, this is John Salter, not in the flesh, I'm afraid. I mean, they speak to me, they leave a message, but they're not talking to me. And even if uh, we have Zoom, and none of us have heard of, had heard of that just over a couple of years ago, even with Zoom and video calls, you see them, but you're not actually with people, are you? It's much better, but it's still not the same. What you really want is to be together with them in the same place, hear their voice and look into their eyes and see their face. Do you know, those two things are really important about togetherness. And, I, you know, for all the um, working from home and all the rest of it, which is a huge advantage in many ways, most of the businesses now want their people to come in at some point to be together. It is important to look someone in the eye, to hear the tone in their voice. And even when I'm reading the Bible, I sometimes wish, gosh, I, I wish I could have heard the intonation in Jesus' voice. Because some of the things he says could mean all kinds of different things. You know, but the look in the eye and the, the sound of the voice conveys all sorts of things, doesn't it? And you know, the Christmas story has a huge focus on those two things, voice and face. Mary heard a voice when the angel came to her. Joseph heard the same voice when the angel came to him. And more than that, um, it's also, well, well, you look at the beginning of John's gospel. What's it all about? It's all about a voice speaking. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we want to hear the voice of God, he has spoken most powerfully the one word that we need to hear, which is Jesus. Of course, no one has ever seen God. John also says that, doesn't he? Goes on in the same chapter in John 1. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And what he's saying is what it's possible for us to see of God, we see in the face of Jesus Christ. God makes it crystal clear. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, may the light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, shining in the face of Christ. When Simeon took the child in his arms, he looked into the face of Jesus. And that's when he knew that he was seeing God's salvation. Do you know that lovely uh, Christmas carol, modern carol, Mary, did you know? Uh, it was written by a guy called Mark Lowry back in 84. He, he was actually ill and he was, um, he was at home and he'd been asked to write a script for a Christmas play for children. And uh, he found himself asking, what questions would I want to put to Mary? 
and you put those into uh, a poem. And he, although he himself was a gospel singer, he didn't, didn't feel he could find the right tune for it. And that didn't come until many years later from another gospel singer, actually. But the, the words, I think, are fantastic. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has came, come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy, I'll find it in me, is Lord of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. And there's some lines in the middle which are repeated. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Christmas isn't about Joseph, really. It's not even about Mary, is it? It's about God at work by his spirit, sending his son on the most wonderful rescue operation that has ever been launched. It's about God himself coming to be with us in a very intimate, personal way so that we encounter him, we hear his voice, we see his face. And what is more important in the world than that? Do you agree with me? I jolly well hope so. It's all about him and it's not about us. And that's what I always want to say about the Christian faith. We sort of struggle about what it is that's here in us and we try and communicate to other people. It's nothing to do with us. It's all to do with him. It's to do with Jesus. God at work. God sending his son. God himself coming actually to be with us. Uh, a very ancient chorus that I remember singing as a youngster goes like this. Um, not I but Christ, be honoured, loved, exalted. Not I but Christ, be seen, be known, be heard. Not I but Christ in every thought and action. Not I but Christ in every deed and word. Oh, to be saved from myself, dear Lord. Oh, to be lost in thee. Oh, that it may be no more I but Christ who lives in me. God with us. Thank you for listening. Can I ask you to stand and we'll spend a moment just in prayer together. Let's give thanks for this amazing event that we're about to celebrate Bring our own praise to God for his wonderful activity at work by his spirit, sending his son to save and rescue us. Remember that that act of rescue led him to a cross where the sky went dark and Jesus Christ became at that moment the most evil person this world 
could ever know. For he bore our sin and selfishness. Thank you, Lord, you cried, it is finished. Help me to bow before you afresh today to thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that you came to be with us. I want to respond to your coming to me. I want to be together with you, to hear your voice, to see your face this Christmas time.